Well, Marissa, thank you so much for coming on Spilling Chai podcast. Um, I have been, I am so hungry because I have been looking at your website <laughs> on and Sorry. off. And um, it's really funny because the last time uh, we spoke when I was on your podcast, The Secret Life of Cookies, I was having a huge kitchen renovation. And I usually do my podcast in my office, but I'm in my kitchen today because for you <laughs> it's nice to see your kitchen it's beautiful it's a like would you what do we call that green sage green is it's it sus it's like a exactly yeah well actually it's called sea foam it's like a bluish grayish greenish uh situation but anyhow i was having such fomo going through your website because i was like we didn't get to bake and we had to have uh, ice cream sandwich cookies because i didn't have a kitchen um, so I'm going to dive right into this. You write about food for the New York Times, for Newsweek. I love how you're like RIP. <laughs> <laughs> and Publishers Weekly, amongst others. Uh, where did this love of food uh, come from? I mean, that's it's purely genetic. I grew up in one of those families where while you're eating a spectacular meal, it's not like we were eating poor, like, you know, yuck, not poorly, you know. But we'd be in the middle of a meal and going, oh, do you remember that meal where such and so, we're a family that while you're eating something, thinks about what you're gonna eat next, right? We're those people um, and grew up talking about food. I mean, I will say, I think growing up with a father who grew up very poor, like he grew up in um, Austria just uh, around the time Hitler was like, I don't like you Jewish people, please leave. And so he didn't have, a, and anyway, they weren't like his father was a brush maker, right? So they didn't have loads of cash anyway. So to be able to come to this country and, you know, food, he could have, you know, he was a, you know, earned money and he could <laughs> afford all the food he wanted to. There was never not enough food in our house. You know, if he came over to your house, I remember like when I first moved in here, it was the a July 4th weekend. And he's like, let me bring some sausages, right? And so there were four of us and an infant and he brought 12 sausages so that everybody could have three. And these are not like, you know, we're not talking about like the little pinky finger Vienna sausages. These were like massive German sausages. That's just the way it worked in our house. Well, I was reading how your father was able to escape, right? Not to mm -hmm. Germany, but almost 12 of your... Um, relatives weren't. So this is a really um, big part of your family history and background. It, it is more as I've become an adult, right? My, mm -hmm. as anybody who's met someone who survived something like this, my father was not the person who talked about it. Yes. It, it was very like, I never, you know, until I was 20, I didn't know that my Tante Pepe, who he used to spend summers with, and she used to squeeze her own raspberry syrup, and he could remember the cheesecloth with all pink, dyed pink, blowing in the wind because he'd be sent out of the city to stay the summer with her and be a shepherd. And it was, to me, it was glowing and gorgeous and wonderful. I never, until I was 20, as I said, realized that Tante Pepe was then, her land was seized. She was sent to an old age home, which was sort of the collecting place before she was put on a train and sent to oh, Theresienstadt. And the, 
the contrast of the two really uh, that my father would never, never talked about the other part. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what, that is so interesting because my maternal grandmother lived through, um, the Bangladesh famine of the fifties. And when I was growing up, she would always, um, she would like collect food in, she had like this closet or like collect like chocolate and, and they were always expired and really old, but she would always open up and I'd be like, that is so strange. My mom never said anything. And very recently, my mom was like, well, she did that because she survived this famine. And I'm like, why don't we talk about these things? Well, how could I never have spoken to my grandmother about it? But I always thought it was so strange, but it really is um, trauma, really. It's trauma. Oh, yeah. Um, That's so interesting about your grandmother, though. Yeah, I, I think about it. Um but yeah, that they never right. talk about it, right? Yeah. And obviously, how it was it was the most formative, one of the most formative things, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, exactly. Um, so okay, the kitchen, what I think is so interesting, uh, especially as a raging feminist, is the kitchen has traditionally been kind of historically allotted as the woman's space where we're supposed to be, um, where we belong. Um, mm-hmm. and I love how you've reclaimed the space. And it's about the connections and the conversations and the relationships that are formed um, in this kitchen. With my new kitchen renovation, I will quickly say, <laughs> it's like changed, changed our life. Um, I wanted to ask you, where did the where did the idea for the Secret Life of Cookies um, come from? It's interesting. I um, oh, first of all, thank you for hitting the nail right on the head. That's exactly what I wanted to do with my podcast and sort of as a person, um, because I've studied the history of women in the kitchen from about the, you know, industrial revolution on up. And, you know, it's, that's a topic for another discussion when we can move on at, I can talk about it later, but, um, the podcast idea, the secret life of cookies came from, it was six months into COVID. Um, you know, I was kind of hanging out on the internet. I knew that I wanted to start a podcast. I knew that I needed to do something with food, but I also um, was so overwhelmed as so many of us were by what was going on in the world, right? It wasn't just COVID. It was that we were all in our homes. And oh, by the way, Donald Trump was looming large out there and all heck is breaking loose in our government, right? And being in the house felt you know, like uh, I need, I need to get out there. And Twitter wasn't enough. Twitter was great. Right. But Twitter was not enough. Um, so, uh, through a chance encounter on Twitter, I was, um, interacting with Kathy Griffin, the comedian. And she said something about, I can't make lemon bars. And I'm like, anybody can cook. You can make lemon bars. Come on, let's do this. And asked her to be the first person on my podcast. And we've been going ever since. And I've had this strange and wonderful none none of them are strange my guests but um uh, but the variety of guests is strange um of guests on you know uh talking about talking through some of the things that i think are so hard to understand right now or have been hard to understand over the past two years i feel like we all need to be legal scholars now in order to understand what's going on we um have to understand the constitution in a way that you never learned about in 10th grade civics, if you even had 10th grade civics. So for me, I, I'd like to sort of not play the naive, but just sort of ask the, some of the basic questions that I think ground us while being in this space that's the kitchen. 
So it's not, you're not on a hot set with lights blaring in your face. You're like doing the thing that kind of makes you feel comfortable and, or learning something new. Cause a lot of people don't even like to bake. And I'm like, come on, we can do this. Yes. I love how Kathy Griffin was like, I don't need to learn how to make this. Like I'm <laughs> that's the thing. I love, um, I love eating baked goods. I'm kind of a connoisseur of baked goods. Uh, and I want to eat your entire website, but um, I don't like to bake. And it's so weird because I grew up in Bangladesh, but now obviously my daughters are like American and all they want to do is bake all the time. And I'm like, can we just buy the cookies and you order in <laughs> no um, no <laughs> yeah my daughter like now uh, so it's really interesting because I feel like if you see I, I just can't eat whatever I bake because I know what's in it do you eat everything you bake I yeah. have to taste I have to taste it but I also have some very willing neighbors right do you always finish everything you make or do you have like a little bit of it little bits of it you yeah. know it's it's like the julia child rule where you have to taste it though i do have some chocolate chip cookies that are literally staring at me right now um yeah. and i find those very very hard to resist i've yeah. sort of um I'm, I'm doing a focus on chocolate chip cookies because I, I i want i'm in the middle of writing a proposal to make the compendium of all chocolate chip cookie recipes so i'm testing and testing and testing uh uh and I, I just find them irresistible. And also like they take all these different forms. And for most people, maybe your daughters, it was yeah. the first cookie they ever made. Oh my gosh. Uh, I can't believe you're talking like this. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you this question <laughs> later, but I was like, I love chocolate chip cookies. I have always wanted to write a book about my love. I think it is the cookie. Oh, I don't know if I should ask you this question now, if we should come back to it. Well, I might as well ask you now, what, uh, what in your opinion is, the ideal, the best, the perfect chocolate chip cookie, the consistency, <sighs> chewy, soft, a mixture. It's, I was literally thinking about this this morning. If it like adds any like credence to the fact that I am obsessed with them. I was like driving along thinking what makes a perfect chocolate chip cookie. And um, it's amazing <laughs> for me, <laughs> the perfect job. And this is such a sappy answer but it's what's ever perfect for you in the moment. Because you know that sometimes you feel like, like I made these soft cakey don't, uh, yeah. cookies. I, I used confectioner sugar, which is more finely ground obviously and has cornstarch and it makes them all tender. Sometimes you just need like a big cakey cookie to dive into. And yeah. sometimes you just need these other ones that I'm gonna post on my Substack this week that are just like, they're like, it's like they have no girdle on, you yeah. know what I mean? They're just like, they're just, <laughs> it's just all out there for you. Cookies to with taste. the no spanks. <laughs> <laughs> no spanks, spanks free cookies. And you won't, um, but they, but something where like the chocolate's oozing out of it. So it's really, yes, it's, so, yes. it's so, it's so, it's of the moment, I think really. Yeah, I agree. I really like them soft bake, a little chewy. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the best chocolate chip cookies I ever had when I was in college at UVA used milk chocolate chip cookies instead of dark chocolate chip. And I thought that was really kind of a game changer. It is a game changer. I, the, these ones that I have, these gooey ones are milk and semi-sweet chocolate. Oh, that's so you get so a, good. a real, it's like the milk chocolate gives you a little break in the middle of eating and then you have the semi sweet chocolate. And yeah. yeah, I do overthink this and that's who I am. Um, I love you. <laughs> uh, I love you more than I did before. I started speaking to you. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yes. Let me ask you a question because this will be useful for me as I write this proposal, which is, um, what is your first memory? Like you, when did you come to America, the United States? 
when I was 18 for college. Okay, so you're 18 for college. So your first experiences with chocolate chip cookies were what? Uh, were the Americans I went to school with in Bangladesh at my school, their families always making chocolate chip cookies. And it is such the quintessential American thing. And when I left America for four years and moved to Europe and I did my master's, I really missed just good old American chocolate chip cookies. And whenever I would come back to visit, my girlfriends would make their fresh ones. <laughs> loved it I love them so much and you know what's so funny I don't like the crunchy I don't like crunchy cookies but I mm. respect the Tate's chocolate chip cookies it's a it is a respectable cookie especially when it was in its original form but the yeah Tate's, the Tate's cookie is fabulous for like making into like an uh um this is a recipe from Ina Gartens which I've adapted where you layer Tate's cookies with a flavored whipped cream and you uh -huh. layer cookies and whipped cream. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you put it in the fridge and it all kind of comes together. I also use Tate's coconut cookies for the oh, base my loves those. of a pot of a, a lime base of a yeah, and I use um a, it's a lime custard pie or basically like uh, a key lime pie in a yeah. coconut crust. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. Um, that sounds so good that I completely lost my train. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, I don't even know where I am anymore. Um, yeah, I, I have succeeded. Sorry. <laughs> what do you think of Levon cookies? Levine? Levon cookies? What do you think yeah, about this? Uh, They're $4 I've, cookies. Yeah, I've um, done my own Levon cookie hack. So I have a recipe that's like a Levant, two of them, one for the plain cookie and one for the chocolate, 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 chocolate cookie that they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of respect cake. for them. Yeah. I just don't have <laughs> a lot of respect. <laughs> you said it like we're talking about like a civil rights organization. <laughs> like I have a, a lot of respect for the Martin Luther King Foundation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Okay. But it is respectable. It is respectable. I love them. The first time I had the cookie, I was like, this is it. This is the perfect cookie. And now I feel like, I don't know, it's tasting too. I guess it just gotten so big, right? Just gotten That's so right. big. They have like a right. cookie kid and no respect and no disrespect and no lawsuits, please. I love them. No, no lawsuits. They're, it's a great thing to have in your freezer. It but really the truth is. is you can bake my recipe. She said sort of shilly. Like, yeah. um, but, <laughs> but you then you can have the dough at home. You can. That's the thing about chocolate chip cookies and about not eating them all at the same time. We're yes. really going deep on the cookie here, but yeah. you can make the dough, roll it into balls and put it in your freezer. And yes, so you can freeze them for later. Hmm. And then you want two cookies. You just bake two cookies. It kind of keeps you from eating 12 cookies. That is exactly what I would uh, do if I was a good baker. Um, you are, but you are a good baker. Your daughters t show them yeah. the back of a bag of chocolate chip cookies. I know they can make it, but you know what else I think is like really stressful for me about baking is that I like, I love to cook and we come from such a culture of, I just don't like recipes. Like I really just like what's instinctual cooking and well, you can't do that with baking. Like it's like a science, it's like math. You have to get everything right or your cake won't rise. The cookie, you know, like there will be consequences immediate. There may be immediate consequences, but I, I'm a firm believer in I really like to break down that rule because I think it terrifies people. And I think it if does. they're basic, if they're like, if you keep the flour and the butter and the basic sugar ratios the same, mm -hmm. and you want to add coffee to it, or you want to add cinnamon to it, or you want to do a this or a that, you can do that. Keep the baking soda the same, you know, the things that's going to create leavening. I think 
And, and that's one of the things I want to do in my book is to be like, okay, now you have the template, go do what you want yeah. to do. Yes. So make it, make it your own. You can make it your own. Yeah. Um, I never thought about recipes as adaptable. So I don't know <laughs> if you recently saw this recent um, Jane Fonda interview, and I've been thinking about it so much because I love her, but she was talking about female friendships and she was with Lily Tolman and uh, Sally Field and I think Vita Moreno. Uh, but she was talking about how she like pursues friendships and how much she relies on her female friendships. And I am a big believer in the power of female friendships. And what I really love is your kind of girl gang group um, of Mary <laughs> Trump and E. Jean Carroll and Jennifer Taub and um, Joyce Vance, like just these amazing women who I'm like huge fans of them on Twitter. And I only interact with them on Twitter. But <laughs> talk to me, talk to me about this group, because in the midst of um, everything that you're doing um, are these incredibly accomplished women that you're baking with yourself included. So talk to me about the power of female, <laughs> female um, friendships, what it means to you. Uh, I um, have not always been a believer in the power of female friendships. I've always mm -hmm. had terrific female friends, mm -hmm. but I've also, um, I went to a women's college for most of my uh -huh. undergraduate. Um, I went to, so I, I'm a full believer in the whole like, you know, girl power sort of thing, or as we would say, women power. But you also um, know the mean girl side of it, right? Exactly. So I worked at two companies that were um, primarily women. Mm -hmm. And I also worked at companies that were, you know, that were more male. And um, I liked some of the, I hate to say this guys, but I like the honesty that happened um, in male dominated companies. Whereas I found uh, it was a little bit of the mean girl situation, even though I will say some of my best female friends have come from these organizations that I worked at. Mm -hmm. um, you can all guess by looking at my LinkedIn guys, um, what these are. <laughs> um, but I, I, but as, in an organizational situation, it wasn't my favorite, but yes, now that I've kind of, now that I'm home more and I'm freelancing more, the female friends that I have, I, I couldn't do without them because, okay. you know, we're able to talk about everything from the wrenching pain of like getting your kids sent off to college to, mm -hmm. oh my God, you won't believe where I found a chin hair today. Yeah. <laughs> or the joys of perimenopause or, menopause, or <laughs> any of them. Am things. I going crazy or am I just <laughs> having a hot flash? Um, I really, really connect with that as well because I worked at an incredible feminist organization, which was probably um, one of the most toxic feminist places. <laughs> I think everybody was just trying to just rip everybody apart. And it, when I met my now husband, um, he was like, you are in a really uh, abusive relationship with your boss, with your female <laughs> boss. Like you are really, I, I can't believe you're working at this feminist organization. Isn't that crazy? I was like, yeah, not. And then I, it's just, you know, it's like a fish in water. You really... Um, can't tell until you're out of it how damaging it was but some of my closest friends are also from that organization who also escaped essentially yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know we we found like attracted like and we sort of all understood the situation and protected each other yeah oh my gosh but yeah I, I really like that you brought that up because I feel like now that I'm older in my 40s 
that kind of pettiness and immaturity is not so much there, but I feel like in the corporate world, it really is. And a lot of it is because we've been told it can only be one of us right at the top. So Mm -hmm. I I feel like the system kind of set us up with that, but that's, that's a whole other thing. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about the book that you're working on, but I, I also want to ask you because I love this kind of stage where we're all at, which is a kind of a pandemic rainbow where you can create your own work. You know, so many more people are like freelancing now. You know, I've been on my own now for, oh my gosh, almost 19 years. Um, yeah. What inspires you um, to do what you do? Uh, I really, uh, you know, I went through um, this sort of corporate world, right? Like I, I started in magazines in the Wayback Machine, like way- magazines that were made out of paper. You know, um, and <laughs> yes. I, I, I worked at Spy Magazine as an intern and it was just an incredible, fat, wonderful experience. Right. And moved from there um, into, you know, um, so as a content, we, we used to we call them now content creators. creators I would yeah. still call myself a writer. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously, so I'm writing. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing something. It is creating content, but yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not just drawing pictures all day, exactly. stick figures, <laughs> Venn diagram. So yeah. I do that, I, you know, and but as I like transformed myself into other jobs, you know, it wasn't just about writing. I had to go work on the marketing side of things. You know, exactly. I helped launch oxygen television network. And in doing that, I went to work on the marketing side to create the tone and the voice for the network. This was when it was a women's network, not a true crime network. Um, (laughs) Now we know what women really like. It's true crime. (laughs) Yes. That's a whole podcast. That's a whole podcast. What is up with that, by the way? I mean, I yeah. Respect need- to all my girlfriends, but what is up with these serial killer podcasts and Netflix documentaries? Like I saw Twin Peaks in the nineties and I'm still terrified. Absolutely. And these are all terrified. Like true dramas like yeah. this. And it's not just like the woman killed her husband, which, you know, you might get, but it's the <laughs> husband killing the wife. Which yeah. Butchered I- up and finds them here. Oh my God. Like yeah. that, that case that's going on now with the husband, like Googling how to dump a body i'm like we don't even need the netflix documentary just watch the freaking news and violence against women like i don't understand how this is entertaining um no, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, have, I am i mean either um it's like the <laughs> worst kind of soap opera right <laughs> yes uh so anyway i moved myself into marketing and then i was like and it, you know it used the same skills i had as a writer mm-hmm. or i have as a writer but at some point i said to myself oh my gosh all i've ever done in my life is talk about food I'm going to quit. I'm going to cooking school. And so I went to the Institute of Culinary Education. I got myself the grounding, not so I could work in a restaurant, but so that I could write about food with some sort of gravitas. And, um, you know, some sort of truth behind it. And it it really stood me in good stead when I was reviewing restaurants because you talk to a chef after you've visited the restaurant. You're like, was that lemon in the sauce? And they're like, how did you know that? Okay, that's a bad example, but it was a yuzu in the sauce. Um, a very interesting technique you use. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, I went to cooking school, so I, you know, I understand yeah. the process. I never sounded as snotty as I did right now, but that's how I, <laughs> what I would say. And they would breathe, they would take a deep breath because they're like, oh, you get what I'm doing you and you understand how hard it is to be a chef yeah. and run a restaurant. So there was that. But I've been a freelancer for a long, long time. I've seen it all change. 
Um, and the luckiest thing that in a world that doesn't reward freelance writing with mm -hmm. any sort of, I don't know, money. Respect um, or money, yes. <laughs> yeah. money. I tie respect and money very closely and I feel yes. very disrespected. Um, My next book, seriously. <laughs> um, I feel that um, I, I was able to take the two things that I love the most, which is interviewing people. That's my favorite, always my favorite job. My favorite part of doing a restaurant review was is off talking to the chef. I like meeting new people. You know, when I, I teach it, um, an intro to journalism class and I'm like, even if you don't wanna become a journalist, learning to interview people is the most yes. important thing you can do because it's gonna treat you. You can be great at parties, on the bus. You can talk to anybody. You never know how it will help you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Seriously, tell me about it. Um, and I get to I get to create recipes. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I also get to create recipes. And the most gratifying part of what I do is when somebody writes me and they say, Oh, I made such and so and it was really good. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. My yeah. family loved it. And I'm like, Oh <sighs> I love that. I love yes. that. But you also, I mean, your writing about your food is so good. I was reading some of your reviews of like, I don't know, like Chinese restaurants, Northern Chinese food. And you just, I don't know. You're like the white Jewish Padma Lakshmi. Just make me want to just dive in and just eat it. <laughs> oh, if, only, if only I were for Padma Lakshmi. If only we were all Padma. Um, but what's some of your favorite food? Okay. Clearly you're very passionate about chocolate chip. Uh, what, is some, sure. what are your some of your favorite dishes to eat? To eat or bake? I mean, like, my, if, if I were so going one, out. Your sweet, one, choose one savory, one sweet. What is your, like, favorite things to um, My favorite comfort, I have two favorite comfort, savory comfort foods. Mm -hmm. And um, one is from a restaurant. I'm pointing. It, <laughs> it's right over there. It's right over there. It's called SLA Thai, and it's in Montclair, New Jersey. Mm. And, you know, for some people, like, mac and cheese is their comfort food. Uh -huh. And I, I get that, but I've never been that person from, and I have great respect for cheese. I've yeah. been fantastic, but I just, it's not my thing. Yeah. Uh, Me too. Pad CU, which mm -hmm. is, uh, I'm probably not pronouncing it beautifully. Pad but CU. Yeah, it's, um, but so it's like flat rice noodles. Flat rice uh, noodles. Yeah, sorry. And they're, <laughs> they're chewy and wonderful and I love and it. There's some Thai basil in there. I, I have recently articulated that Thai food is one of my favorite, favorite foods. Oh, mm -hmm. so good. Respect. It's, it's because it's all the different flavors in one mm -hmm. place. That's like a rule. Yes. Flavors, right. Mm. Um, so it goes the whole spectrum. And that's what I like about it. I've also been making some super garlicky tofu. That's been. Ooh, yum. Yum. I love garlic. Because I love garlic. I love garlic. I'm like shameless about garlic. I cannot, I can't smell it. I don't mind. And when I do smell it, I don't mind smelling of it. I'm like, bring it on. Why are people so paranoid about uh, garlic. Uh, I was once gifted a Williams Sonoma steel bar, you know, to remove the smell. Yes. I'm like, no, I liked it to smell like that forever. I, I can't believe Williams Sonoma made this. Like, what the heck? Yeah, exactly. You can just wipe your hands on your sink too, or <laughs> or some cutlery. Exactly. <laughs> I have to quickly ask you, when is your birthday? What is your star sign? We're like the same people. My garlic type food Can uh, I ask March, you that? I'm March 25th. Are you a I'm an Aries? You're I'm an Aries. Aries. You're a March Aries. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. This is why I love you so much. I have so many. Oh my God. I have like three of my best friends are Aries. And when is your birthday? Um, It's January 8th and I'm a Capricorn. I have Elvis Presley and David Bowie's birthday. And it's a big deal. 
<laughs> Some of my favorite people are Capricorns too. Oh, I love you. Yeah, you know Capricorn. I kind of feel like we're pretty great. My mom is a Capricorn. My sister is a Capricorn. So I'm my of- father was a Capricorn. My brother is a Capricorn. Are you so, serious? Yeah. No way. Oh my goodness. One of my brothers. The other one's a Pisces. I love him too. Yep. <laughs> Pisces are really Pisces and Aquarius I get along um very well. Well, those are all uh, my questions. I'm so hungry. I really, really want to talk to you, but I also kind of want to just run off and get like hot to you and chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Maybe I'll get the lunch special. Anyway. Um. <laughs> well, Marissa, this was so much fun. I'm definitely going to have you back. Thank you so much for spilling the tea with us. Tell my uh, viewers where they can find you. Of course, on um, her Substack, subscribe, subscribe. Please subscribe. Um, paid subscriptions help pay for butter, which is um, a staple these days. And the what about eggs? And eggs oh have gone eggs. up. How are you baking with the egg crisis? It's it, eggs. Th- my staples, eggs, vanilla which is yeah, so expensive. crazy expensive and butter, butter I can find on sale eggs. I'm not finding so much on sale. Yeah. Um, and we eat eggs as eggs in this family, you know, like, so I yeah. don't want to get like the cheapest kind. I want to get some yeah. where the, the hen was maybe a little happy. Maybe Joyce uh, Ann can hook you up with some. Do her chicken skin eggs? <laughs> I bet people are asking her now, hey, can you hook me up with some of your French? Save me um, a couple so, hundred dollars. Exactly. <laughs> people can people can find me at Marissa Rothkop, um, dot substack dot com, and they can please subscribe to the Secret Life of Cookies podcast, which comes out usually every Saturday. Fantastic, and she's also on Twitter and Instagram. Highly recommend you follow her, Marissa. Thank you so much. I will thank be you in so touch much with this episode soon. I, I owe you cookies. Soon. Oh God, I owe you cookies. I owe you a baking situation. Yeah, have you have to... to come on with me and we can bake and you bake. can bring your daughters if you'd like. That would be awesome. I think my eldest would love that. I have a six-year-old and 11-year-old. And okay, so would really love that. Wouldn't that be sort of fun and very sort of- That would. I will ping Tara. You know, I love Tara. She's still your producer. Tara? Oh, yeah, she, um, she, yeah, she does. She's not my producer, but she does. I'm like, oh, you're a booker. <laughs> She's my booker. Yeah, God, I don't know who that is. <laughs> anyway, I love her. I'm going to call her and tell her to put me back on your show. We'll do something special together again. Anytime. Thank you right. so much, Marissa. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy that cookie. Stop staring at it. Just eat it. Bye. Anyway, okay, see you. <laughs> see you. Bye. Thanks.